0: You're now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Kush Parikh and Corey Johnson. Be sure to check us out weekly every Monday and Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds.
1: Hey, fish, at me.
0: so many So high in the Feel like I can fly, yeah. Yo, what is up everyone? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's KNOWS bleeds. You already know it's your boy. Yo, what up y'all? My name is Kush. And I got my co-host with me, Mr. Corey Johnson. How you doing, Corey?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yes, sir. It's so good to be back here. And yes, you already know, Kush Farik is back on the mic with your boy, Corey Johnson. Let's get it, man. Nosebleeds. Let's go.
0: All right. We got a lot of talk about today. But let's start with our On This Day in Sports History. Today is June 4th. And in 1870, yeah, that's right. We're throwing it back way back, two centuries ago. but in light of everything that's going on in America, we thought this would be really fitting, and that is Ed Brown becoming the first African-American jockey to win the Belmont Stakes with his horse, Kingfisher. Um, I'm not really into horse racing like that. What about you, Corey?
1: Not really, but I just know that um, something like that was probably like a, a crazy moment. To first,
0: first off, to first off, hashtag black excellence.
1: <laughs> I mean, just be able to to win – Uh, a horse race but let alone a a race as prestigious as the Belmont Stakes that's pretty uh pretty impressive but horse racing not um I I I pay attention like when obviously it's the Kentucky Derby or something like that but I'm not a huge horse fan maybe when uh you know we blow up maybe I might get a little bit more into it though
0: When we blow up, we're going to get that money. We're going to be suited and booted, going to the racetracks, placing our bets.
1: Oh, for sure. (laughs) Got it, got it too, got to.
0: Nah, but um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about today. And as of right now, we have breaking news on Thursday afternoon. The NBA has just approved for the 22-team return to the NBA. You know what that means, guys? We got sports coming back. 29 teams voted to move forward with this plan. The only team that voted against it was the Trailblazers, which is kind of weird. So I'm going to give a quick rundown of the basics of um, what the 22-team return is looking like. So uh, the 22 teams are including the 16 playoff teams right now, eight from the east, eight from the west. And and then plus they have the Kings, Pelicans, Spurs, Suns, and Trailblazers from the west and the Wizards from the east. And this was kind of determined teams within six games of the eight seed were invited. It would start on July 31st and a potential, if there was a Game 7 in the NBA Finals, that would be October 12th, so which is very late because normally that's the time we would start the next season. They will be playing at Disney's ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in July. We're going to Disney World, folks!
1: Going to Disney World. Going to Disney World. Can't wait to see what happens there.
0: Yep, and we and each team will have eight regular season games, and uh, each team's opponent is based off their remaining schedule from when the season was. But that obviously those teams have to be a part of the twenty-two teams. So let's say they, someone's playing the Hawks or something like that, they would just skip that game and go move on to the next opponent. So who, Makes who sense. In the twenty-two teams, and then this is the interesting part. Something new that they're implementing is there will be a potential play-in tournament to to, to determine the playoff field between. The eighth and the ninth seed in each conference, but that's only if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed. If not, then the eighth seed is just in. So, um, and the ninth, and this is actually really interesting too. The ninth seed would be single elimination, but the eighth seed to give them an advantage would be double elimination. So that that's a lot more interesting. And then, uh, just to kind of give an overview on the conferences right now, the Kings, Trailblazers and Pelicans are all three and a half games behind the eight seeded Grizzlies. And the Spurs are four games and the Suns are six games behind the Grizzlies. And then in the Eastern Conference, the Wizards are five and a half games behind the Orlando Magics. So given all that information that I just gave you, what are your thoughts on this 22 team return, Corey?
1: The thing I find very much interesting is straight away, they decided to go not based off of conference because they easily could have did what we were talking about with the NHL's plan. And... Somehow, some way, maybe those Knicks could have scripted into the conversation, <laughs> but they decided no, it's only uh, teams that had a chance of making the playoffs that were going to get in. So they didn't try to do, well, if the West has this amount of teams, then we got to compensate and do the same thing for the East. They were able to uh, figure out a good way and a good strategy of finding a balance without having to somewhat overcompensate. Another thing I also find interesting is just the. Uh, the, the way that the NBA is kind of moving and the way that they're uh, expediting everything and making sure that they get things right um, because they obviously know that their fans want a season. They know that the players want to finish out the season. LeBron has made that known from the get-go. And so I just think when you when you look at how the NBA is mobilizing and how they're, they're uh, getting things done, it's a tribute to what the league has like the, the connection that the league has with their fans. I just think that overall going to Orlando and having the 22 teams there is going to be a a really interesting thing to see as far as which teams are going to be able to start gelling and finding that chemistry. Because when we left off, the bucks were in control of things and had the best record and, we kind of figured out like which teams were what, but now having that little break of what two, three months or so you now have to have a little bit of a training camp, get back into the flow of things, find that chemistry again, find that shot, get that defense of strategy down. And all that stuff has to come back into play. And obviously you don't just forget those things, but it takes a while for you to get back into the flow of it. So which teams are able to, gu- to just jump straight in and pick up right where they left off or which teams are going to, you know, surprise us and, and be able to make it into the postseason is going to be very intriguing to see.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the training camp situation and, you know, teams getting back into the swing of things because NBA Insider Shams tweeted out that training camp is set to start June 30th, so at the end of this month, and then July 7th, they'll travel to Orlando, and then the season will start July 31st. So, I mean, teams are going to have, it's going to be very shortened training camp, but they are going to have some time, you you know, gel. But the thing you'll see from a lot of teams is they may have more healthy players, like you look at the Clippers. Paul George been struggling with his shoulder, with hamstring injury. Kawhi Leonard's been, uh, you know, load managing. So it's like I don't know if, if it's only eight games. I don't see them load managing him at all throughout this process. So especially, I don't, I doubt there's going to be any back to backs. So I mean, you have all these teams and players coming back. So they are a lot healthier now, and they they'll have this time to gel with one another. But I think obviously the biggest concern of this entire um continuing of the NBA season is the safety and the sanitation of uh you know the gym the hotels all that stuff so i think a big thing will be the NBA will be governed by a set of safety protocols and uh they're saying that they'll have daily coronavirus testing within the Disney campus um but if you're a team that wasn't invited to Orlando how do you feel and what do you do moving forward in this off season i think with
1: teams as far as not being invited to Orlando I think that this could somewhat work out in their favor because a lot of these teams didn't really have a chance of making it to the postseason in the first place and so I think a lot of people could feel slight slighted that they didn't get invited but you should just honestly focus about getting ready for next season because if you get ready for next season then you somewhat have a focus and a plan of what things are going to start looking like. And you can focus on getting your roster together. You can focus on uh, what players you should try to go after in free agency, things of that nature. And I think that there's no shame in not making it as far as this, this point. And if you weren't able to make it into the, the, the this Orlando situation, that's okay because there's always another opportunity maybe next season, to get better. And just look at the Warriors. I mean, they had no shot whatsoever, and they seem like they're going to try to use their draft pick to maybe get at a shot of potentially signing Giannis Antetokounmpo.
0: Yeah, I think for the teams that didn't make it, they'll definitely be looking forward towards the draft lottery and the draft day itself and uh, those days were announced so the draft lottery is set for august 25th and the draft is set for october 15th which would be three days after an nba finals game seven if there is one so some dates to look forward to but with this whole thing happening in orlando there's no per se home court advantage so the NBA, the jump on ESPN said that these are some potential advantages for the higher seeds. I'm going to go through them and I want your thoughts and opinions on it. So potentially the home team would get possessions to start the second, third and fourth quarter. That's one option. The second one is they can designate one player for seven fouls instead of six fouls. Third one is that team receives an extra, extra coaches challenge. Fourth one, They transport the actual hardwood of the home court from the arena to Orlando, and then uh, the last one is they pick their hotel. I mean, I heard there's seven star hotels. If that's a thing, I've heard that's a thing. So maybe choose a seven star hotel. I don't know what's going on with those. But with those being said, what do you? Which ones do you think would happen if any? And are these even realistic?
1: I don't know. I, I I don't know how to feel about it because I think that this is somewhat trying to compensate. Where I think that, yeah, the home court is, is, a, is a big advantage for the, the higher seeds, but I think that they should just go ahead and maybe they could play along with the, the idea of what we were talking about with the group stage of them potentially picking their opponents. Um, that would be something to be more of an advantage than anything because then you are literally giving them the opportunity to pick who they face uh as far as their 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 seating or whatever or or their if they decided to do that group stage thing but I don't know I feel like they're just trying to somewhat compensate or somewhat give them some give these higher seats something so that they don't feel like well we did all this work or we did all this stuff in the regular season now what I mean we're not really getting any slice of the pie here we're not really getting anything of an advantage over these teams that we could easily get knocked off by if something goes
0: wrong. I think one realistic one would be a team, uh, the home team receiving an extra coaches challenge or of the higher seed. I think that's actually a realistic one that could possibly happen because you only get one. And then obviously in the last two minutes of the game, you can only challenge a foul. So having two would definitely be very interesting. And then maybe the foul one. I mean, that's kind of, a far-fetched one but maybe having seven fouls instead of six fouls Uh it allows you to play a lot more aggressive especially like you know you have those wing defenders and like the Trevor Ariza's the Robert Covington's you know what I'm saying like those guys the Marcus Morris's those guys like you know they can play a little more aggressive when they're on their best player like let's say they're guarding a LeBron or they're guarding a Giannis something like that they're able to be more aggressive
1: Yeah, but with the coach's challenge for me, I think all season, it's kind of been, I don't want to say ineffective, but it's, it's, there's been no consistency with it. Like some challenges have worked out, others have not worked out. And so it's kind of been up in the air. It reminds me, the coach's challenge actually reminds me somewhat of VAR in soccer. When VAR was first introduced, nobody knew like, okay, how is this going to work? Is this going to be helpful or is this going to be annoying and at first it was annoying but then as it started to get better and better and season started to go on with it it started to somewhat be a, a, a an assistance to the referees and a way of helping them to be able to get it quote-unquote right so as far as this season I'm not really sure about if the an extra coaches challenge uh would be an advantage maybe it could be but like you said i would probably say the fouls is just maybe the only real thing that you could uh probably say is an advantage because if you have one player who could use up to six fouls and still has one more before he's disqualified maybe you decide to put that player in and just have them foul if you're down or something to just try to extend the game out or to get uh your opponent on the foul line, or something like that, so that way you can still have a chance of coming back into the game if you're if you're losing or something of that nature
0: I love the comparison of the v a r from soccer because I think that's something like you said that has become better over time. I mean, one particular thing that or time that I remember that the coaches' challenge in the n b a was was very useful or could have been useful if they had an extra one was when the Trailblazers played the Jazz. It was a regular season game and Damian Lillard had that, had that layup and Rudy Gobert blatantly goaltended, but nobody called it and that would have given them the lead or, or, tied the ball game Instead, now they're playing the foul game and have to catch up. So, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, knowing that you only have eight games and every game counts, it's, it's a big difference. So I think that possible coach challenge could be, uh beneficial and it's uh
1: it's it's it's, um the fact like you said that there's only eight games every game matters that's critical to keep in mind because with the nfl every game matters with the nfl because it's only 16 games so the shortening of games goes to show that when when you don't have that much time to be like okay we're good it's only it's only the first game out of 82 or it's the first game out of 162 something games in baseball, we got time to make up, but it's okay. We lost the first game and we only got seven more to go. We need to get things going right now. We got to get our stuff together. There's no room for mistakes. So you just have to pay attention and be able to understand the rules, understand the format, understand everything that's going on and be ready to get at it as soon as uh, July 31st hits.
0: Yep. Well, let's say that, that – so, so now we know that the NBA season is coming back. Well, actually, it's, a, it's all depending on the NBA Players Association. They just have to accept the reform. But let's say the season awards, they were still given out based on the actual regular season and not these next eight games. Let's go over some of the awards. We have MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defense Player of the Year, Most Improved Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and Coach of the Year. So let's obviously start out with the main one, MVP. Who do you have, Corey? So for
1: MVP, for me, it was between LeBron and Giannis. And although people will say LeBron is deserving and some argue LeBron should get it every year, I think that Giannis just has a better case right now. Giannis Antetokounmpo is putting up a career year. He's averaging nearly 30 points, uh, 14 rebounds, 6 assists, and he's only been playing 31, less than 31 minutes a game. And so you just look at the fact that his team is a top of the NBA, has the best record in the league. Giannis is, I don't want to give any sort of shade or say that he's not good, but let's face facts. Chris Middleton is not Anthony Davis. LeBron can be able to rely on Anthony Davis at a higher clip. than I could say that Giannis can rely on um, Chris Middleton because there are times, and we've seen it even in the playoffs, where Chris Middleton has gone missing. So I think that Giannis has really been at the forefront, not on just the offensive end, but also you could say the defensive end, too. He has been a real uh, just all-around leader and probably the main reason that the Bucks are where they are at this point in time in the NBA season.
0: Yeah, and so like what you said about him doing it on both sides of the court, I think that really helped his MVP case last year when he was going up against James Harden, which I still think James Harden was snubbed. But, I mean, that that two-way definitely helps his case. And I have Giannis Antetokounmpo as well because he's also leading the Bucks on pace for a 70-win season, which has only happened twice in NBA history with the Chicago Bulls and the Golden State Warriors. So, I mean, if he takes that team – Seventy wins, and well, obviously he can't now because of the way the season is now looking like. But the fact that he was on that pace and he put up the numbers like you mentioned, it's it's his for the taking, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely, it's Giannis is to lose, but you you could argue that LeBron definitely had a case in there. It's just I think Giannis he he that two way player I think will always trump a, a player that's just going crazy offensively, in my eyes.
0: Right. All right, let's move on to Rookie of the Year. Who do you have, Corey?
1: Rookie of the Year. Um, If Zion would have been playing all year, I think that would be the biggest question mark for the NBA uh, conspiracy theorists out there. What if Zion Williamson had played his entire rookie season? But it's got to be John Morant. Because John Morant, not only has he been playing proficiently, and not only has he been playing uh, just – tremendously for the memphis grizzlies but he has them in a playoff situation he has them as one of the teams that's going to orlando and you have to really think about this when the grizzlies decided to draft ja morant and pretty much said goodbye to mike conley there were some people that were kind of concerned about whether or not this was the right move but turns out this was a great move and when you just look at ja morant not only as a rookie But his entire basketball story, the dude didn't get that many offers and didn't get any recognition when he was in high school. He gets to Murray State, and in his sophomore season, this dude just starts to dominate and starts catching the headlines, getting that notoriety. He gets drafted number two overall in this past year's draft and just started to run away with being one of, if not the top rookies in the NBA, who hasn't had real issues as far as injury which you could say is a one-up on Zion and as those two's careers go on it'll always be a question of if one has more championships or one has a better career or the other people will be wondering and saying was drafting Zion the obvious choice at the time or maybe should have they thought about going with John Moran or you know everybody will always you know say things of that nature but as far as this season goes I think John Moran is the most deserving. He is the rookie of the year, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, I'm 100% with you right there. I think that Zion not playing the entire year is the the deal breaker right there. And then I don't think these next eight games will, if they do uh, give the awards after the regular season, after these eight games, I don't think those eight games will be enough to justify his rookie of the year case. I think jaw has been doing it on a consistent level. He's, like you said, taking the Grizzlies to the playoff spot as the eighth seed right now. And honestly, if you watch him play, he's one of the most electric and flashiest point guards that the NBA has seen in a long time. You look back at Kyrie, Derrick Rose, and Allen Iverson. Those are the three names that come to my mind when it comes to rookie point guards that have a big impact. So John Morant is definitely deserving of it. All right, let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year. Who do you have?
1: I'm going with Giannis. Um, I think that there's a case, obviously, for Anthony Davis. And I think this is a lot closer than people would actually believe. Uh, I think the defensive player of the year uh, voting between Anthony Davis and Giannis is a lot closer than I would say MVP, but with Giannis, I just think that the the, the separator is obviously the, the position of his team and the way that his team is at and just his influence on the defensive end. And um, with Anthony Davis, don't get me wrong, great defensive player who has plenty of block shots, plenty Uh, 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 of just moments where he meets people at the rim and he takes up space in the paint, but you also have, the thing that I would say that hurts Anthony Davis's case is that you also have Dwight Howard who does a lot of that. You also have JaVale McGee who also does a lot of that. And there's uh, several other Lakers players that help out on the defensive end Somewhat alongside of Anthony Davis, that you really can't say is the same case as Giannis. Don't get me wrong; that the Bucks they compete and they're a great defensive team overall. But I think Giannis is just—he's at the forefront of that. So I think Giannis has to get that DPOY.
0: So I'm actually—I think this is where we have our first disagreement. I'm actually going to go with Anthony Davis. Um, like you said, he's—he's uh, he's probably the best interior defensive big man in the league, especially given with the guys made of glass. Let's just say that Anthony Davis has battled injury. I mean, obviously he hasn't had any major injuries, knock on wood, but I mean, he's, he's had little nitty, nitty gritty injuries here and there, and he's still producing blocks per game. He's averaging almost two and a half steals per game. He's averaging one and a half. So, I mean, and in that starting lineup, the guys that are going to be getting the most minutes The only other real great defensive player, I would say, is Danny Green. We've obviously seen LeBron take a huge step back. We know he has the potential to play defense, but at his age, he wants to conserve his energy and use it on the other side of the floor, which is why they brought someone like Anthony Davis and Danny Green, Avery Bradley, those type of players into the Lakers roster. And he's also helped the Lakers to have the third best defensive rating in the league. So I think Anthony Davis is my defense player of the year because of those reasons. All right, let's move on to most improved player of the year. Who do you got, Corey? So I was going back and forth on this one. and This one was probably the toughest one, I would have to say.
1: Yeah, because there's a lot of good names out there. Uh, you could say Jason Tatum. You could say maybe Pascal Siakam. You could say even Luka. But I'm going to go with Brandon Ingram from the New Orleans Pelicans. Brandon Ingram, I think took a huge step this season. First time All-Star this year for Brandon Ingram. He finally was able to establish himself and really showed flashes of what people said he could potentially be when he got drafted. They were saying that he could be baby KD. He had similar attributes and sim- a similar look to him of Kevin Durant. And I'm not saying that he is Kevin Durant right now or he even near or capable of being anywhere close to Kevin Durant's level, but I'm saying that he showed a lot of signs. And one of those things that was a very much a blessing in disguise for the Pelicans, or I guess I could say for Brandon Ingram, was the fact that Zion missed over half of the season. That allowed Brandon Ingram to establish himself and get comfortable and show that he is not a bust by any means, that he's not a terrible NBA player. Sure, he hasn't, you know, taken off, and just destroyed the nba but he made his presence felt this season and i think that he's definitely deserving of being considered as a most improved player of the year and also considering the fact that he was traded and no really body expected him to 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 be the way that he was this season coming off surgery as well brandon ingham i think has to get that award
0: yeah, uh, Brandon Ingram had a great year, and I think that whole trade for Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, all of them, I think that trade was a win-win for both teams because obviously the Lakers got Anthony Davis and the Pelicans got Brandon Ingram, and I thought Brandon Ingram and LeBron would never be able to coexist on the court. They're both, both way too ball-dominant, and I feel like Brandon Ingram is a guy that needs the ball in his hands a lot, and like you said, Zion wasn't there, and I think that was beneficial for him because. Coming next season, Lonzo's gonna need the ball in his hands to play make. Brandon Ingram's gonna need the ball to create shots, and then Zion. I mean, he he can play a little more off ball than those two players, but he's gonna demand the ball as well too. But for my most improved player, I got the guy that I called in the beginning of the season. I, w- I would say I wouldn't. I, I kind of called because he's my one B guy. My one A didn't pan out, and that was Jaron Jackson Jr. I thought he would take that leap, but my one B guy was Bam Adebayo, and I still think he is. The most improved player. I mean, he took the role as Miami Heat's big man after Hassan Whiteside left, and he almost doubled his points per game, averaged ten and a half rebounds, doubled his assists per games, more than doubled his assists per games, and had a great defensive season as well. Um, They a lot of people called him the mini Draymond Green, and Mm. you you saw it. But um, I would say a little more athletic, Draymond Mm -hmm. Green, but he can definitely get to Draymond Green's level of play that you saw in the twenty seventeen. NBA Finals, 2017 season in general, um, and he actually made his first All Star appearance this year in Bam Adebayo, and he had three triple doubles with points, rebounds, and assists as a big man, and that's why I think a lot of people compare him to Draymond Green. Um, also, the Heat had the f- fourth best record in the Eastern Conference when a lot of people had him towards the bottom. Like, yes, they did get Jimmy Butler, but who's going to be that second guy? Because Goran Dragic definitely took a step back. Bam Adebayo. Stepped up as that number two for the Miami Heat, and that's why I would have him as most improved player. Let's move on to six man of the year. Who you got, Corey?
1: So I'm gonna go with Dennis Schroeder out of OKC. Now this award has definitely been the Lou Williams award the past what four or five or maybe even three seasons. It seems like Lou Williams is just mm-hmm. gonna get the six man of the year award. But with Montrez Harold now commanding a lot of the time off the bench as well as Lou Williams I think those kind of those two kind of cancel each other out and then when you're looking at other options yes Derrick Rose in Detroit uh, maybe Dante DiVincenzo with Milwaukee but I think Dennis Schroeder with OKC he has provided a real spark plug off the bench and has kind of revamped his career because when he first went to OKC I wasn't really expecting him to do a whole lot and he had been kind of quiet But this season, he's really turned it up when you got a nice little point guard trio of Chris Paul, Shea Gillis, Alexander, and you got Dennis Schroeder, who's able to help out as well. And I think that he just provides a nice little presence uh, for the Thunder, who, surprise, surprise, are one of those teams that are headed to Orlando. And no one really expected after uh, Russell Westbrook got shipped off to Houston for this to be a team that was going to be competing and who would have guessed that old Chris Paul, young Shea Gillis-Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder, who has not been the same since his Hawk days, would be three guys that are leading the way for this OKC team to be in the mix of teams competing for a championship. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, that's hard to argue against for sure, but like you said, with the Clippers, I think The Clippers do have the best bench in the NBA because of guys like Lou Williams, but also because of guys like Montrez Harold, who is my sixth man of the year this year. I mean, averaging a career high in points per game, almost 19 a game, seven rebounds per game, shooting 58% for the field. But the main thing is this guy's the energizer bunny for the Clippers off the bench. Like He just goes crazy. And this is the crazy part is he's 6'7 or 6'8, like about around that. But the guy plays like he's seven foot, and what a lot of people don't know is his wingspan is seven feet four inches. So, I mean, that's why he's able to play against big man. I mean, if you put a big man on him, he'll take him off the dribble because Montrezl Herald is so quick. You put a, mm-hmm. a smaller wing defender on him, he'll just power through them. So, that, that's why Montrez Herald is so versatile, and he brings that energy off. Matchup so nightmare like I said, for sure. He's exactly. a matchup nightmare. And that, that's why I would give him my sixth man of the year. I mean, he was in the running last year. I don't know if you would call him a sixth man or a seventh man of the year with Lou Williams there. And actually, the crazy thing is to knock, knock off Lou Williams at all because the guys, he averaged career high last year with 22 points a game. But this year, he's averaging his second career high, which is 20 points per game. So not, not to knock him off, but I think the NBA voters will be giving it to someone new, especially with the way Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell has been playing this season. That I don't think Lou will is going to win it again. All right, let's move on to our last award. We have coach of the year. Who you got, Corey? So
1: there is a case for it could maybe be a co-coach of the year, but I doubt this happens. But when I look at Nick Nurse of Toronto, I wanted to give it to him straight away, but then I remembered like, yo, Billy Donovan has less to work with. Billy Donovan has a aging Chris Paul – and a very just weird team. If you just look at the OKC Thunders lineup, and it is a very weird team that don't really necessarily have a quote-unquote star player, like a legitimate star, all-star player. And so when I look at that, I have to say Billy Donovan has been doing his best coaching without the likes of Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant. And so, I mean, like, it's, it's very interesting to me that when Billy Donovan was first hired with uh, OKC, OKC Thunder, I wasn't really sure how he was going to be able to mix in with those star players. And lo and behold, those guys leave, and he kind of is starting to seem very much similar to that Billy Donovan that won two national championships with Florida back in the early 2000s. And so, I think that Billy D, for me, like i said having less to work with and playing in the tougher conference uh, that 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 is looking like he should win coach of the year but i wouldn't be shocked if nick nurse gets it
0: said but i still have to go with nick nurse i mean the guy lost his best player on his team his superstar and they still have the second best record in the Eastern Conference, the third best record in the NBA, actually better than the Clippers, who took the guy, their superstar from them. And they've actually held defensively, they've held opponents to the least points per game in the entire NBA. And they they uh, set a franchise record of 15-game winning streak this season. So, I mean, this is only his second year, and he's, he's flourishing like he's a Greg Popovich. Like, he's been doing this for countless amount of years, so... Nick Nurse is definitely my coach of the year for that reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you could say that they're, they're uh, having a a similar moment to when uh Jordan left and played baseball, and people were saying that that year was the best year that Phil Jackson did some of his best coaching because he had Scottie Pippen as his guy. A lot of people have been comparing Scottie Pippen's game to Pascal Siakam, and so Pascal Siakam has kind of taken over the reins of being the go-to guy in Toronto, and you still got Kyle Lowry, you still got Fred Van Fleet, you still got Marcus Saul, you still got um, Serge Ibaka, and you still got a really good overall great team in that uh, Eastern Conference and the defending champs, not to mention. But to me, I just feel like Billy D has less to work with And, and Billy Donovan and OKC, you know, and they're in the tougher conference. so. But yeah. It's a good argument. It's definitely a good argument there.
0: I think what'll come down to the voters is more I think the only reason why Nick Nurse would win it over Billy Donovan is just because he has the numbers kinda to back him up, the eye popping numbers that will, you know, attract voters uh for the NBA. So that's the only reason. But I think Billy Donovan will get number two one hundred percent. Um, all right, so yesterday on June third DeMarcus Cousins drew possibly the greatest charge in NBA history after he tweeted at now the former Kings broadcaster, Grant Napier. Um, Cousins tweeted at Napier asking what's your take on black lives matter. And Napier responded with, Hey, how are you? Thought you forgot about me. haven't heard of you in years. And then in all caps, he wrote all lives matter every single one. And cousins later posted that he that's the response he was expecting from napier and even forward like former forward matt barnes he commented that napier was a closet racist i mean with these remarks it got him fired they they say he resigned but he was really fired by his station in sacramento where he co-hosted a show with uh doug christie former kings players i mean what are your thoughts on that Corey?
1: so for me like I want people to understand that when it comes to things of this, of of this nature, we shouldn't just jump the gun right away and be like, uh, like, I don't, I didn't know this man. And I don't know this man. uh, Personally, I don't, i have never like have a conversation or anything like with this man. So, you know, just hearing about like, you know, Matt Barnes saying that he was a closet racist or something like that. Like I can't, uh, you know, justify, or I can't, dispute that necessarily but I guess my overall point is just that if he wants to say that I don't have a problem with him saying that because for a lot of people they want to have this quote-unquote conversation they say that we need to have a conversation we need to talk about these issues we need to be able to be open about these issues and we have to be willing to speak out but When you have a conversation and everybody has opposing viewpoints or not everybody is thinking the same or thinking linear, then things of this nature are going to happen. And I'm sure for him, he's probably feeling like, dang, I just lost my job over a tweet. But you also have to have some awareness of your profession and you have to have some awareness of the optics of the situation right now. If the Kings kept a hold of him, it would look very bad for them if he was still their broadcaster. So optics do matter. I would say optics matter and and are starting to matter a lot more than even the truth of the situation or the or actual reality of a situation. So I don't begrudge anybody who says all lives matter um uh, because you're just telling me that's your that's what you believe or that's what you that's what you what you're thinking or where you're coming from and it i'm not going to go out of my way or waste my time trying to convince you of anything otherwise or trying to make you think the same way i do because you're gonna live your life the same way i have to live my life and so with with uh but with this situation it just it reminds me of it reminds me of the Houston Rockets general manager and the tweet that he sent. There's a time and a place for certain situations. And he could have just dm Demarcus Cousins. He could have talked to him privately. He could have called him and told him how he felt about it or whatever. But once you put it out there for the world to see, then what is the world gonna do? The world is gonna point a finger, the world is gonna judge you. And it 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 to me it is what it is.
0: Well, yeah, exactly what you said. It, it, there's a time and place for everything and I think him saying Also, I think if he DM'd DeMarcus Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins would have exposed him. He would have actually screenshot oh, yeah. it and oh, sent yeah. it he out. So. It. Yeah. But I mean there's a time and place for everything and I think currently right now there that's not the right time to say that. I mean, whether you believe it or not, like we're not here to convince you, but we are here to enlighten you on the situation and all I got to say is if you don't like that, then you don't like NBA basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Out with a bang. All right. Let's move on. We're still on the subject of this. I mean, we're going through hard times right now. And we obviously we want to talk about sports and stuff like that. But within sports, politics are always going to be tied into it. And that's just, I mean – that's the great part about it, but that's also the unfortunate part about it. Like, you have the good and the bad for everything. So, recently, Drew Brees uh, came out on June 3rd with comments. Or this is what he said. Check it out.
2: Well, I, I, will, I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let, me, let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the, the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go, but I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together we can all do better, and that we are all part of the solution.
0: Drew Brees then came back this morning on June 4th, and he apologized. He basically said, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the Black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. In speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused in an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing as a country right now they lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy instead those words have become decisive and hurtful and i've misled people into believing that somehow i am an enemy this cannot be further from the truth and is not an accurate reflection of my heart or character he went on to say that he stands with black community he's in the fight for racial injustice. Uh, He recognized that he is a part of the solution. He went on, he said, I take full responsibility and accountability, and for that I am sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. Uh, Drew Brees in 2017, during the London game, he took a knee with his teammates before the national anthem. Um, So what are your thoughts on all this that's just transpired?
1: So again, going back to the Kings broadcaster, There are a lot of people who feel like um, we should be having this conversation. We should be talking about this. We should be talking about that. And let me just say this. Let me just say this, right? For all those that say that, like, oh, we're fighting for equality. We're fighting for equality or equality is important. We're all equal. No, we are not. And, and, And that's clear as day. To me, you could even let me give you a sports analogy of that. There's no way you can convince me that we are equal by if I tell you that, oh, yeah, we're equal. Just look at Patrick Mahomes, MVP, Super Bowl champion. He's on the same level as Brock Osweiler. Yeah, yeah, we're all equal. We're all on the same level. So, I mean, like, no. And, like, you can say, like, what, the Kansas City Chiefs are on the same level as uh, one of the worst teams in the league? Like, no. So I think that trying to to push – Narrative of uh we are equal or we are on the same page or we are this, we are that is a falsehood in my eyes. And so Drew Brees coming out and saying his statements about the the flag, he was saying also like how his grandfather fought for the country, and Drew Brees is a well-known uh he he is a very hardcore patriot of You know, the United States of America. He is also very much into his faith. And so to me, it's, 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 I don't condemn Drew Brees for saying what he said. I honestly did not take it all that serious, or I didn't put his comments or hold them to such a high degree, the likes of Malcolm Jenkins the likes of Ed Reed, the likes of Steven Jackson and several other people, Le- LeBron James, several other people across the sports world do. To me, why does Drew Brees' words matter or why are they held in such high esteem? We, because what? Because he's white? Because what? He's a starting quarterback in the NFL? Because he's a a, a, a famous quarterback? Because what? Because his name is well known? And to see now that you know, the people of New Orleans are now saying F Drew Brees for what he's saying. It just goes back to my original point. People want to have a quote unquote conversation, but they want you to say, think, and do everything that they want you to. And it's like, wait a second, that's not that's not that's not a conversation or that's not fair. That's putting me in a box and forcing me to have to operate and and say and do everything that you want me to do. So that that. There, there's there's a multitude of perspectives that people don't even want to take into account. Nobody wants to understand where Drew Brees is trying to come from when he makes his initial statement. And then when he makes the apology, to me, I feel like him coming out with the, the apology was a reaction to the reaction that he received to his original comments. Now, I'm not begrudging him because obviously, I don't, you know, nobody wants to be called out as a racist or nobody wants to be vilified or looked at as an enemy, like he said. But he also said a key point in his statement. He said that he wants to be viewed as a leader of the Black community. And it's like, Drew, you can't be viewed as a leader of the Black community, bro. And neither, would I, neither should you be trying to be a leader of the Black community. Drew, you should just play your role in this world and Similar, I don't want to, you know, ever say that, like, oh, he should just, you know, shut his mouth, but if he's going to, if you're going to make those statements, you have to be willing to deal with the potential backlash that comes with it. So him almost walking back or, you know, apologizing on Instagram, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say it's disingenuous, but it could be viewed as being that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I had a great deal of respect for Drew Brees. Still one of the greatest player or quarterbacks to ever play the game, but after his comments I did lose respect for him, and especially after his apologies, because in my opinion, like what Malcolm Jenkins, Ed Reed, Michael Thomas, LeBron James, Steven Jackson they bullied him into making an apology. And his apology in itself said that basically I'm sorry for the reaction. That's not the reaction I meant to get from you guys, but I'm not sorry for the words I said. So with taking that into perspective, I mean, you can say sorry, but he has a lot of work to do to regain his fans' respect from his peers. I mean, actions speak louder than words. So you can you can talk all you want, but like we don't want lip service. Basically, we want results. So uh, and until you actually you know make strides into helping the black community and to help the social injustice, I mean, I, I I've lost respect for you for for that because
1: and honestly. I'm gonna say something like, I don't think he should have apologized. I think if he was gonna say it, what he I was gonna it say, I think it made
0: matters worse. It I made think made he should have just
1: worse. stuck with what he said and just been like, "This is what I said. This is what I meant." Because I'm, because I mean, his whole focus was on the disrespect for the flag and the protests and the things of that nature. And it's like, I'm cool if that's if that's how you feel. If that's how you think, thank you for telling me and thank you for showing me. That's what you're. That's what you're thinking. And that's what your focus is, because it's like um there are a lot of people that get offended when you disrespect the United States or when you disrespect anything, any sort of symbol or anything that regards uh the USA, which is cool. I mean, I've never been someone that's been a hardcore patriot, so I can't really relate to what Drew Brees' stance is, the same way that Drew Brees can't relate to the... the the plight yeah yeah he can't really relate to that so it's the it's the it's the same thing but it's that people won't won't mention what i'm just saying people won't view things from drew breeze's eyes and they'll just be like oh this guy like he has a lot of work to do but in his eyes he's like i donate money i give to charities i do all this work it's like why is it that i'm now being viewed as a bad guy just because i said that we shouldn't be protesting during the national anthem or we shouldn't be disrespecting the the flag so
0: that's that's just my problem that I have with him is that you're talking about kneeling during the flag and disrespecting the flag but you yourself did it in 2017 so it's very contradictory of his statements and I mean since that we're in like we're in this pandemic you know the spotlights are a lot brighter on what any athlete does because there's no sports so we're going to try to see what each athlete is doing and i think once all this passes over and everything goes back to quote-unquote normal who's going to be the true leaders that still fight for social injustice who's going to be those guys that still speak up and still raise awareness or are they just gonna be like oh it's over back to my normal life don't have to worry about this anymore i agree if you want to be a leader then you know really fight after this is all passed over
1: that's true because there's a lot of people not even just athletes but people in general who for example like will post a black screen on their instagram for blackout tuesday and be like all right i help fight racism right <laughs> next let's, next let's uh let's go let's per- go stop a perfect, covid-19 a,
0: a perfect analogy for that is i saw a really funny video it's literally this guy on the beach taking a mop and trying to soak up the water from the ocean and putting it into a mop bucket that's literally the analogy of i'm a close to black screen kind of a thing yeah so i mean th- there's been a lot going on in the nfl and just to piggyback off of the drew Brees thing vig vangio said that there's no racism in the nfl and yesterday on wednesday he said that his remark was wrong and apologized and claimed he never personally experienced it in 33 years in the NFL. But if you take a look back over those 33 years or whatever the case may be, there's definitely been multiple incidences of racism in the NFL. Perfect example, Riley Cooper caught on tape saying the N-word to a security guard at a concert. And I mean, that was only caught on camera. And then you also have Richie Incognito, who was using racial slurs against in 2013, Yannick Ngankwe called him out. I mean, and these are all just people, you know, bringing spotlight to these matters. But it's like, how many get brushed under the rug? And to, for you to just say that the NFL is not racist, like, come on now. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So Vic Vangio, uh, coach of the Denver Broncos. Um, and so I'm always trying to understand why people make the statements that they make or why or, or where did this come from or, 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 or of that nature. Because it's easily to, to point out, you could just look at what they're recently trying to do with the Rooney Rule. Like as far as incentivize teams and organizations to hire more black personnel by saying like, oh, you'll get an extra draft pick if you, if you do that. And so it's almost, I guess my question is, I wonder as a Caucasian person, what it must be like to be in this in these times wondering about you're in looking at yourself and reflecting at yourself and somewhat thinking about empathizing, but not taking it to the point where I'm, I'm looking at as I'm pitying someone or looking inward at yourself and looking at, Oh, am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I doing this? Am I, is my thinking wrong? Is my thinking messed up or whatever? If, if you're doing that and if you're, if you're, trying to look inward, which I think everybody should always have some sort of self-awareness. and Everybody has to look first and foremost at the person in the mirror, the man in the mirror, and identify your faults and identify your strengths and weaknesses and what you can get better at daily and how you can be a better person or a better uh, man the next day. And so when Vic Vangio was saying like, there's no racism in the NFL, I personally haven't experienced that that's where he's going based off of. I personally haven't experienced that.
0: Well, that's, that's so my since, problem too. It's, it's just being so narrow-minded that you don't understand the broader picture.
1: But see, sometimes people have that, that they have they have that viewpoint because they're seeing it as, well, this never happened to me or this never happened to some colleague that I know or I've never personally seen this occur. So what, what are y'all talking about that there's no racism in the NFL. The, the, the NFL's a meritocracy. If you put hard work in, then you get
0: rewarded for your hard work. But, but that's called being—that's called being oblivious and selfish, in my so, opinion. I mean, you—you you have. These guys, okay, think about it. You want to say, oh, it didn't happen to me. It hasn't, this hasn't happened. Like, I'm I'm just for myself kind of a thing. But what about the players themselves? They go out, they win a ball game for you. You can call all the plays you want as a head coach, but if they're not executed by a player, then what, you lose the game. And that's not just you. That's others. You got to look at it from another perspective.
1: That's very true. But see, like, let's take a look at, like, you know, so Chris Ballard was saying that, you know, Chris Ballard, GM for the Indianapolis Colts, was saying pretty much that for so long this has been a, a a a black issue because white people refuse to listen and they don't want to identify uh their faults or their weaknesses or anything of that nature. And for me personally, he said, I he do, said this
0: is a white issue.
1: Yeah, he said this was a white issue. Yeah, for you me, said person- black
0: issue. So I just want to right right
1: right right he right. said he he was saying that for so long it had been a black issue but now he's saying that this is a white issue but for me personally i don't expect or i don't have these expectations so when when people come out and make certain statements i i it i don't want to say i don't care but it's it just doesn't phase me because i'm like okay He said that and then I see the outrage online and like just going back to Drew Brees, I see like hashtag Drew Brees is canceled is trending on on Twitter. And so I'm just wondering like, wow. So because this person said how they actually feel, you hate them for it or you hate to see it. But if Drew Brees would have, have initially just come out and said what his apology statement as his initial statement, people would have been like, yeah, Drew Brees, yeah, he's riding with us, and da-da-da-da-da. And this is why, as much as people criticize Jason Whitlock, and as much as people say that to a certain degree, when he says that social media is not an accurate depiction of the real world, social media is a small microcosm of how people operate. Because when you post on social media, for the most part, you're only posting what you want people to see. And so when somebody's showing you, genuinely showing you what's going on in their mind, going on in their heart, should they be vilified for that? Or should we be trying to understand where is that coming from? Why are they saying that? Where, you know, if you're, if you're truly trying to, quote unquote, gain equality, if you're truly trying to Understand if you're truly trying to gear people towards social injustice, is the response F you? Is the response uh empathy? Like, I really honestly want to know because the confusing thing for me is, is that so many times people will be called a racist when they're just telling you where they're coming from because this is what they're taught, or this is what they've seen, or this is what's gone on in their life, and they're exposing themselves by doing so. I I I just don't think that vilifying Drew Brees or vilifying Vic Vangio is going to, quote-unquote, uh, bring more people in. It's going to cause more people to stay quiet and not say how they truly feel or how they truly think. And people are going to continuously be disingenuous. And it almost reminds me similar to the 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 2016 election not a lot lot of people were expecting the results of that election but at the same time there were a lot of people that felt betrayed in the country and so they voted the way they did because they felt like they weren't being properly represented in the united states but ultimately like
0: i always say it is what it is (laughs) Well, actually, I like this quote that Patrick Mahomes said the other day. He said, all I can think about is how I grew up in a locker room where people of every race, every background, every community came together and became brothers to accomplish a single goal. And he hopes that America can do the same thing in times like this.
1: The so, best thing that you can hope for with America is everybody to be cordial that's the best thing you can hope for because we all have different backgrounds. We all have different ideas, different ways of thinking. Obviously we look different. Uh, we think different. We speak different. Um, not because like some people just think that like every be- every black person uh, thinks the same, but you can talk to a black person on the West coast. You can talk to a black person in the, in the South, and you can talk to a black person in the East and they might all be differing from what they uh from from what you might think like oh everybody thinks the same but they might all have different uh messages they might all have different things uh to say on a particular topic so that's why i say you can't really expect everybody to just be kumbaya and we're all cool with each other the best you can hope for is just to be cordial and just to be you know uh somewhat okay because everybody comes from a different way of life and a different thinking. And when that kind of mixes, it's, it's, you expect more so there to be a clash than to be there to be like Mahomes was saying a brotherhood.
0: Right. And I think for people to get that installed in their head, they have to be more educated for how different people, different ethnic backgrounds are, you know, how they live their lives. It's, it's not, it's different from them. And your way is not the only right way. And I think, it's a little bit where selfishness comes into because if it's not happening to you, you kind of turn your back and be like, oh, it's not bothering me. So why should I worry about it kind of a thing? And that, to that point, it's kind of inhumane because you're not educating yourself. So that's my problem with it. But if everybody, like you said, can all come sing kumbaya, but the least you can do is educate yourself and not be oblivious and ignorant. So with all this going on right now, and people finally seeing the big picture to why Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee because of social injustice and police brutality, not because he was disrespecting the flag and people like GM of the Colts, Chris Ballard, is finally seeing it. Do you think Kaepernick will get another shot at the NFL? So with
1: the Colin Kaepernick situation, um, people forget the timeline a lot of the times, but just just for context's sake, So Colin Kaepernick was in a contract dispute with the 49ers. And I think that the 49ers were not going to bring him back. I don't think that they were going to bring him back, but he kind of forced their hand for them to not cut him right away by take, by, by, you know, taking his stance. It's just, I don't, I don't know if he was necessarily, because obviously I'm not in his head and I haven't talked to him, but, Obviously you, you, you look at the, the way things were going, he was going to get cut and he had lost out to Blaine Gabbert and he was going to become a free agent at that point in time, but he had opted not to sign the contract offer that they gave him. And so you look at what everything that's going on and, and all the talks about, but personally it all depends on how willing does Colin want to get back in the league? How willing does Kaepernick want to be back in the NFL? And to be honest, I think that he looks better outside the NFL than back in the NFL as far as his, as far as his image and his brand. And if he were to get signed, it would, it would put him in a, in a situation and put the owners in a situation to where what are they going to do? Are they going to allow him and allow other players to take a knee? are 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 they going to make up some sort of policy where you won't be able to protest during the national anthem or are they going to change up things? like? So those are the type of things that you wonder if he does get signed. But I have somewhat gone back and forth on this, but would I be surprised if an NFL team signed Colin Kaepernick? No, because as far as making their brand look better. The NFL more so needs to bring Colin back rather than Colin needs to get back in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick is good. Colin Kaepernick is a Nike athlete. Colin Kaepernick is set as far as money-wise. He has sponsors on, on on top of sponsors. So he is good. He does not need an NFL contract. It's not like he's on the side of the road begging and pleading to get back in the NFL. is like the, the most that we've seen even out of Colin Kaepernick wanting to get back in the league is when he had his tryout at the, the, at the high school. And so, like I said, if, 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 you, if somebody desperately wants a job, you will bend over backwards in order to get that job. Versus if you know you have some sort of leverage on the, your potential employer, you're not so as per se, I guess you're not you're not going to be bending over backwards. You want them to meet your terms versus having to comply with the terms that they're trying to give you. And so it's just a matter of what terms do the NFL have for him and what terms do, does Colin Kaepernick have for the NFL? And will they be able to negotiate?
0: I I just think that the window to sign Colin Kaepernick is kind of gone because like you said, he has already created an image for himself and he does look better off field because of his whole movement that he's, I I don't know if I would necessarily necessarily say he started it, but you know, the movement that he has created a brand off of. So, I mean, I think his window of going to the NFL is now potentially gone, but I, I, yeah, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if NFL teams try to reach out to him. Um, and going back to the whole 49ers contract negotiation stuff, the reason why I say his window is now closed because even if he doesn't reach a contract with them, I guarantee you another team would sign him, if not a starter as a backup. I mean, you saw the Baltimore Ravens almost sign him. Like they were probably the closest team to sign him, but, you know, stuff started coming out, the new the news started coming out, and then kind of probably made the Ravens second guess about signing him. And if they want all that p r drama and stuff like that um, yeah and
1: like and like 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 you said, uh he's had opportunities, like the Ravens almost signed him, uh allegedly John Elway said that the Broncos were close to potentially signing him, and Pete Carroll and the Seahawks said that they almost signed him as well, so it's not like he's just been not had a chance of getting back, so if if he's had somewhat of a chance getting back. Taking into play all that had happened during those uh those years, of course, it looks good for the NFL to sign Colin Kaepernick because then it's like, hey, you know you you people say that we're not about social injustice or we're 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 totally against Colin Kaepernick. why is he why did we just sign him to play in our league so again, it would be a a, a good situation for Goodell and the NFL to go ahead and sign cap more so than cap needing to desperately get back in the league because like i said he's good and, and whether or not he wants to even entertain that idea and
0: do that totally up to him the ball is in his court yeah i definitely think he would beat out Denthead and duck hodges over there in pittsburgh <laughs> for, for a job <laughs> so it's not even a question about his ability to play um there was a couple other don big donations from the NFL. The Ravens owner, Steve Scotty, he donated a million dollars to social injustice reform. And then Dak Prescott pledged a million dollars to improve police training. Just a couple, couple of little donations over there. Um, I actually saw a funny meme. It was like Dak Prescott pledging a million dollars to the police training. And all of them are now whipping Lambo cop cars. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so you got anything else to say, Corey? I just think that this will not go away as far
1: as the social in, the social justice reform anytime soon because we are in quarantine because of COVID, and the more that this stretches out and goes on, when things open up again fully and completely worldwide and nationwide, it'll be very intriguing to see, like you said, who continues to speak out and who continues to let their voices be heard against racism and against social injustice versus those who will kind of just been like, hey, I thought that was just you know good for PR, a good look for everybody to be like, oh yeah, this guy is cool. So actions are always gonna speak louder than words. That's why to me, the words that people say, take them with a grain of salt and just view them as, as gestures or, and, and lip service until you actually see the the, the, the actions being taking place by the people who are saying that they're with you or they're, they're, they're for you or whatever. And, and you really get to test and see like, oh, okay, this is really changing or things are really starting to change. But if not, then like I say, it is what it is.
0: That is going to wrap up this episode of The Nosebleeds. You know where to find us. And if you don't, what are you doing? Come on, we're on Twitter, at the underscore nosebleeds. On Instagram, at The Nosebleeds. Facebook, just search up The Nosebleeds. You'll find us. And that's K-N-O-W-S, bleeds. And that's all we got for this episode. We will catch you guys on Monday.
1: Deuces. See ya. You guys stay safe out there. And remember that the nosebleeds is your number one source for podcasts
0: yes sir